0: You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 150. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. We have made it to 150 episodes and I am still on a high from the fun PMO Impact Summit last week, and I just wanted to keep the party going. So I'm doing something special over the next few weeks, and that is sharing a little bit of what we covered in those sessions, specifically the live Q&A sessions we had with some of the top thought leaders in the PMO space. We had some really great conversations about things related to accelerating your PMO impact, and top ways that you can drive more value in your role as a PMO leader. So here's how this is going to work. These live stream Q&A sessions were actually an hour and a half each, and there's no way I'm going to have an hour and a half long podcast episode. So there's going to be a part one and a part two to each of those two live stream Q&As. Each of the speakers will introduce themselves, but I think it'd be kind of cool for you to know what they talked about. So we had Curtis Jenkins talk about the Realization Framework Experience, which is about helping organizations and leadership in organizations realize their strategic goals. So he talked about a process he uses for doing that. We had Andy Jordan talking about the PMO in a capability-driven world, where he was really exploring the future of PMOs and what's coming and what's going away. And it was an outstanding episode. We had Alex Chapman talking about why outcomes thinking is the missing link for project investment value. And if you've listened to any of my episodes, you've probably heard me talking about outcomes over outputs is the key to your success in earning your seat at the table. We also had John Dreisnack talking about strategic portfolio management moving beyond prioritization. And I know some of you are like, look, I'm just still trying to get them to prioritize. I feel you. But it was really more about, okay, how do you align the portfolio to the strategic objectives? And that's a really important discussion because we should be doing that right from the start. Instead of having all of your projects happening and being developed in one area, and a strategy in another area, and not even being connected, which I know, I know, is actually happening in some organizations. Don't worry, that's the kind of thing we're trying to fix. We also had Ed Layden talk about CEO advisor, PMO, and strategic alignment. So he explores things that you can do to really have better alignment with your CEO, helping your CEO at the strategic level. And it's a really cool role that the PMO can and should be exploring and his session talked about that i also did my very popular pmo health assessment workshop and you will hear me reference that workshop and some of the things i talked students through in our q a discussion both in this one and a little bit in the impact after hours style session that you'll hear about in a couple of weeks And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I missed it. How could I have missed all of this great content that would have been extremely valuable to me? You can actually get access to these kinds of resources inside the Impact Inner Circle membership program. So definitely go to pmostrategies.com and learn more about how you can access these fantastic sessions inside our membership. Now, what you're going to hear today is the Q&A session from various participants asking questions about the content and the concepts that were covered in their sessions. So there's still tons of value to get from listening to this live Q&A. I absolutely loved the conversation. So today we're going to do part one where I cover some of the questions that we got from the audience. And then next week, you'll hear part two of this same Q&A session. So dive in enjoy it i can't wait to hear how you are taking what you've learned from these q a sessions and applying it in your organization enjoy good morning good afternoon good evening thank you for joining us uh all of you speakers if you could introduce yourselves i will start with andy
1: hello everybody all right i am andy jordan as you can no doubt tell from my accent i am from honduras or at least I'm in Honduras. I have been doing this with Laura for uh, five years now, apparently. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about it before we started. So thrilled to be part of this. Um, and uh, if you've got any questions about my my, uh, my session, which was about uh, uh, PMOs in a capability-driven world, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means later on, then please you know, throw them in, and, and it'll give me an excuse to stop Alex from saying too much.
0: see I told you he was going to be trouble Alex (laughs) Alex uh, welcome
2: all right okay so um uh, thanks everyone for attending this is kind of like uh, such good fun last year was such good fun that was my first session uh so my my topic and my passion is outcomes thinking And one of the things that I say to people is that Uh, it it is the missing link for making projects successful because if you don't know where you're going you can't actually plan to get there and the thing about outcomes thinking the techniques is that they give um, they give projects people a mechanism for knocking down that brick wall that exists between the projects and the business where the business toss things over the wall and get the projects people to read their minds and fix things. And what I say is this, that these are really simple brain-based techniques which have been tested over three decades um, and they work and uh, they give you that um, mechanism to discover what it is that you're intended to achieve.
0: Thank you so much, Alex. And we'll dive into more of that. I really wanna make sure we talk more about the outcomes thinking here as we get through going through the session. Uh, Ed, welcome.
3: Hi, yeah. So I'm Ed Leiden. Uh I think this is the third or fourth uh, PMO Impact Summit that I've been a part of. Um, so my background, I spent about 20 years working in large aerospace and defense um, organizations, more of a corporate environment, working for um, very large companies and kind of building up PMOs and leading PMOs there. And about five years ago, I wanted to kind of do something different. So I took that knowledge and that expertise and started working with small businesses and started working with CEOs to help them to define the strategy and implement some of the best practices that we use within our PMO, but really to help their business and drive their business and really understand the purpose of what they're trying to do. Um, I My previous role for about a year and a half, I was working with a company where they merged several companies together and they were trying to focus their strategy on what's the most important because they couldn't do everything. And now I'm working with a company that's a little bit more have grown organically and now they want to have um, a lot more focus on biz dev and growing the business. And so I'm helping them sort of define that strategy as well. So my uh, talk today and, and what we'll hopefully talk a little bit about is um, how you can become a CEO advisor, taking some of the skills and expertise that you develop as a PMO leader.
0: Awesome. That's so awesome. OK, thank you. Welcome, Ed. Uh, John.
4: Yeah, how you doing? I uh, My talk was about uh strategic portfolio management. Uh, a lot of people talk about project portfolio management where we're just like prioritizing the projects within the portfolio. But I think a little bit of what Alex was talking about, you know, if you bring in the strategy, you know where you're going and can you organize your portfolios around your strategy and they be influenced by that strategy. And so you have that insight as to where where you wanna be in four years, five years, six years, And then the other part of the talk was when the standard got updated in 2017, it added capacity and capability as a domain. And I think that's really an important um, addition Mm. that was done to portfolio management to really think through, again, strategically about what capacities you have uh, within your PMOs, your projects, your programs, your portfolios, and everything else, uh, and then, then what capabilities you have. Um, to do portfolio management, it's not just a bunch of projects together, but to look at that from a portfolio perspective. And then I, I gave a couple examples. I'm I'm an old, old Air Force guy, veteran. Uh, have worked on some very large projects. When you look at the Department of Defense, notice Edward worked for Lockheed. You know, it's it's the largest set of portfolios that are formally managed in the world. Absolutely, so. Uh, There's a lot of things done wrong, but there's also a lot of things done right. And it's a a very interesting, when you look at what gets developed out of those portfolios, uh, there's a lot of good lessons to learn there. Over.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. And you guys can see why we have this panel of speakers here and why their sessions were chosen to be a part of this uh, conference. We are talking about a lot of things that have been a theme um, at the PMO Impact Summit. And our whole theme for this conference is Accelerate Your Impact. And one of the questions that came in that we'll talk a little bit about um, had to do with um, something I showed them at the PMO Health Assessment Workshop yesterday, which is the role of the PMO in the entire strategy lifecycle. So we'll talk about that, and I'll get some feedback from all of you on this. Um, Curtis, welcome.
5: Hey, Laura, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, everybody. I'm hailing from Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, my talk was about the realization framework experience. And much like Ed and John, I'm a vice president of a a PMO, and I've been building PMOs for a long time. I'm also a merger and acquisition specialist. So I've been doing that for over 20 years. And like those uh, those gentlemen, I work at the strategic level here in corporate America, but I also have created this uh, patented framework. If you will, you can look at it like uh, old wine in a new bottle. And it's called the Realization Framework Experience is five steps that I help actually help small business owners and entrepreneurs learn how to behave like big business owners. And it takes a more of an operational approach. You know, many times people approach me and say they need more money to grow their business. And really what they need is more organization and uh, plans as what we would do as project managers to drive their businesses to be more efficient. Then we can look for more money because most businesses don't even know how much money they need. So that's what I do. And I'm looking forward to talking more about my realization framework experience.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And we do have, um, another speaker that is trying to get in, but I think having a little bit of trouble, Jennifer Baker, hopefully she'll be able to join us, but we will go ahead and hit the ground running, um, uh, you know and hopefully she'll be able to join us and we can we can incorporate her into the conversation so uh thank you all very much for being here um for all of you impact drivers that are watching this the you can see i believe why i chose and why we chose these speakers to be a part of this pmo impact summit because there is a very important role for all of you in a place you may not be spending a lot of your time uh, one of the things that we talked about yesterday i want to dive in start right here um with all of you and get your your thoughts on this. One of the things that I share with them in their PMO Health Assessment Workshop and my Impact Engine PMO students hear me talking about is the role of the PMO in strategy and the whole strategy process. So very simply, the way I explain it to them is that there's kind of three stages to the strategy lifecycle. And I know I'm oversimplifying. There's a lot of stuff underneath that, but there's strategy definition, strategy delivery, and strategy realization, where you actually realize not just the benefits, but the return on investment of uh, the work you did um, that you defined hopefully really well up in that strategy definition process and then delivered on well. There is a lot out there, a lot of books, uh, a lot of conversation around closing the gap between strategy um, formulation and strategy execution, and that there's this big strategy and execution gap. And I think that Mm -hmm. if that was the case, all these books would have solved that. I don't think that's where the gap is, frankly. I think a lot of the challenge that happens with PMO leaders specifically is they come into an organization and are told, um, hey, you're here because we need to fix project management. Project <laughs> management's broken because we have you know, this strategy we want delivered. And I don't know why they can't get it done. And so the PMO leader, many of whom grew up from project management are like, okay, great. And they start doing all the templates and the tools and the process and the stuff. Mm-hmm. And they create lots of outputs. And yeah. what happens? Projects are still failing. PMOs are still failing. Strategy's still not getting delivered. So no, my they lose argument the is- job. Yeah. And then they lose their job. 50% of them lose their job in the first um, three years. and, And actually half of them don't even get off the ground in the first place. The numbers are pretty staggering, and I think it's because we're all trying to solve the wrong problem, where the challenges often lie. So you can you can train PMs, you can put process in place, you can do all the things. But I've been telling our students and um, the people here at the summit that that's only going to get you about 20% of the actual value um, and only going to create 20% of the actual benefit that they need. Where there is a lot of struggle, where the challenges really lie, I believe they're happening far before the project ever starts. In fact, most of these projects are being set up for failure right from the start, either because the strategy is not clearly defined, the the projects are being built over here separately from where the strategy is. And so you're having all this trouble kind of connecting them instead of building the strategy first and letting the projects come from that. Uh, Everything's the number one priority. Most people are saying, well, we have a resource management problem because we can't, you know, our resources aren't fully utilized. Do you know what a highway, do you know what the beltway in the DC area looks like when it's fully utilized and every bit of the concrete or every bit of the pavement is taken up? That's full utilization and no one's going anywhere, right? So it's I I believe they don't have a resource management problem. They have a project prioritization problem. They have a strategy definition problem. And there's a lot of challenges that are happening that are setting these projects up for failure right from the start. So if we're going to fix something, if we're going to spend our energy and time, I believe that that needs to be spent much earlier in the process. Process, and that's where you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck. So all of you are here because I think you have a really unique um, approach idea, thinking around all of this, perspective around all of this, I think could be super helpful for our audience in understanding why this is so important, how they can help support the front end of the process. I'm not saying never do templates, tools, and process, but even if that's the solution, it is almost never the answer. And the answer is to solving the business problems that must be solved and, and addressing those business problems front end first so that we're setting that project delivery up for success, um, and then of course, Alex is where you come in on the whole outcomes thinking over outputs. How are we making sure that we're measuring all of that well, and that we're not just measuring benefits, but the actual cost, you know, the whole ROI e- equation to make sure that those benefits were worth achieving in the first place and continuing to pr- improve upon that. So. With all that said, I'm going to shut up and I'd love to hear what you all have to say about that. Agree with me, disagree with me, have some perspectives on things PMO leaders can do to, um, to address the, the, this thinking and kind of shifting from being an administrative box checking overhead kind of a function to what I call an impact engine for the organization.
2: Mm-hmm. Can I, um, uh, I love the fact that you talk about when projects fail, Laura, because in fact, literally uh three days ago i decided to sort of stir the pot a bit and i put a post up on linkedin that said um no hero no guru no project manager can save a project that's ill-conceived misconceived or just plain dumb and um the interesting thing about that post is that it's absolutely gone crazy and there's Mm. so many interesting comments on it but it is the it is the issue that um when when the business asks a project manager to do something it doesn't necessarily necessarily follow that that thing that they're being asked to deliver and that includes the PMO office as well Mm. actually has been well thought out enough to uh, be successful and one of the things that that um, that the work that we did uh, that led to the formation of TOP in in 1994, it was the Boston Consulting Research that was done worldwide, showed that where projects fail is not during the project management phase in terms of value delivery. Where they fail is in the pre-business case phase and then afterwards. So what that means is that if you're in a PMO role, what you need to do is to actually make sure that you're getting, uh, working with the business, not to improve the project delivery processes, because we're pretty good at that, but to mm-hmm. improve that definition of what the business is intending to achieve. And then also, you know, as uh, you will have seen in the presentation I did where I talk about outcomes, path dependency, to work out the right sequence in which you deliver those projects. So that helps you prioritise them. You start on the ones that deliver early outcomes and then you allow people, uh, allow that to enable you to get to the next step and the next step and the next step.
0: Exactly. That's like literally the exact things I was telling yesterday in this health assessment workshop is that you've got to start up front and, and build, iterate, right. Iterate mm. along the way. So mm. um, thank you for that. Who else wants to share some thoughts on this? Yeah. Tom. I
4: think Alex, you're talking about that portfolio roadmap, you know, what is the portfolio roadmap?
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
4: And um, you know, we think about schedules and, and those kind of things at the project and the program level, but really at the portfolio level, well that not as detailed. Uh, so that's why we call it a roadmap, not necessarily yes. scheduled, but where that is. The other thing you, that both Laura and Alex make me think about and a little bit, I talked about in, in my talk was a little bit of economics. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a fundamental economic theory called structure, conduct, and performance. And basically is if you wanna go someplace, you wanna move to a new space, Structure drives conduct, conduct drives performance. And so mm-hmm. if you don't change the structure, mm-hmm. you're never going to get the conduct you want. And you, you sort of think about that at project, at team levels and those kind of things. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Air Force guy. So we, always, we talk about the difference between what goes up in sensors in the space business and what are the sensors that we have on aircraft. And as long as we keep an aircraft program doing sensors, in a space program doing sensors, guess what? We're gonna have sensors in both environments. If we put those program offices together structurally, and the outcome was the best sensor, would sensors migrate from the aircraft to space or from space to the aircraft or to the UAV or whatever, right? Because it's the organizational structure, it's the project structure that uh, really can help make a difference. And that's why it's important to tie that structure to that strategy, right. those people are organized for what they're doing today. They need to change their structure to where they want to be tomorrow.
1: That's becoming even more important than ever because projects, portfolios, programs, epics, value streams, whatever you want to call it, is what's driving the business forward these days. We don't do operations for extended periods anymore. We do operations for a couple of quarters and then we have to change those operations because there's new technology or new customer expectations or whatever it might be. And the only way that's gonna happen is through projects. And if we don't have the right projects in place, we're never gonna make the right changes. And Alex referenced, I hate to say nice things about Alex, but I'm forced to do it. Um, (laughs) Alex referenced that Boston consulting research. That was nearly 30 years ago.
2: And And it's still relevant. right?
1: Because still the execs think, hey, here's the strategies we need to follow. And here's a really good idea. We'll define those three to five top strategies for the year. Then we'll go and play golf. And all the department heads will come up with 250,000 projects that will perfectly align. And we know they'll perfectly align because they'll have a business case that says so. And then we'll execute all that work. And if we don't execute all the work it's because project management's failing. We do the same thing every year. It never works. And so we think, well, clearly we've got the wrong PMO in place because they're not making the changes to the project management approach they need to. Well, here's a radical idea. Don't stop at the priorities. Define the major investments that you want to do, not the projects. Don't define Mm. however many projects, but define those three to five things for each of your strategies that are the major investments you want to make to move your business forward. Give someone accountability to own that and let them worry about defining the work, defining the success criteria, how those success criteria are going to be measured, the validation that the outcomes are actually occurring. And guess what? The actual execution piece of that work will go remarkably smoothly if you do that, because you've been focused on improving project management for the last 30 years, and it's pretty darn good these days.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: It's not rocket science or or aeronautics either.
0: Well, one of the things that one of the students um, asked is, in order to prioritize projects, we need business cases from the requester, but if they don't seem to have the capacity to create them, should we just take care of that as the PMO? Now, I know my answer, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Can we all say no? (laughs)
2: yeah yeah so the the thing is one of the things i teach people about the outcomes thinking techniques which actually is the fundamental of a business case because if you get a really clear statement of intention what happens is that the business case in terms of building the value equation so you define the outcomes those pieces of working just right future that allows you to define the benefits, and we say that there are six different types of those, so, you know, the positive consequences. And then you get to value in what we call the specific, uh, the little v measure, which is the stuff that you're actually going to track, model, and measure, and what the input drivers to that value is. So mm-hmm. if you do that, and you can do that in a period of, and we've done very big ones um, and made a good bash at it in a week right but you work with the business to do that but once you've done that that business case becomes much smaller and it gives you it gives it gives the business ownership of it because it's their business case but you as a project specialist are helping to come in and say well if that's the value you want to deliver we can show you 10 ways of making that be delivered for a really good cost. Like you've said, you need this. Well, I've got a great way of doing that for, I can do it in three months for half the, half the thing that we thought it was going to, because you made clear what we actually want to do. So when the business, you you can't put, they have to do this, but you can kind of, facilitate it and and I think the PMO facilitating it mm-hmm. is acceptable mm-hmm. but to do it mm, because then you're back into them throwing it over the wall and you're trying to read their minds and create a miracle yeah and that's actually something I teach my impact
0: engine PMO coaching students and, and training students is that they are the facilitators they need to stop trying to be the decision makers and stop mm-hmm. trying to own the business outcomes they facilitate getting to those business outcomes but that if you know in my my opinion janique if you have a business leader that wants a project done but does not have the time to create the business case it ain't that important right right. and until it is important enough for them to take the time to create the business case which you, you can coach them on You can facilitate uh, to help them figure out how to do it well, but you absolutely can't do it for them. The project managers, program managers, they should not be the ones providing the updates to all the business leaders on what's going on with those projects. The sponsors should be because they need to know what the heck is going on and take some accountability for the success or failure of these initiatives that they are asking to be done. Ed, you do a lot of coaching for CEOs on this kind of stuff. What are your thoughts here?
3: Yeah, I think um, even in the question, it brings up that kind of balance that you talked about of you know prioritizing and then capacity is kind of the word that was used here, but you, know, you could use resources as well. Um, it really is like, do you have the capacity or do you have the resources or not? That's more of a question on prioritizing it, right? And so right. if you wanna have projects that continue to fail because you don't have a good business case and you're okay with that, then like you said, it's not a priority. That initiative to um, develop the business case and spend time with that in executing, Um, especially if you're continuing to fail. I mean, we talk about having sort of a parallel path of continuous improvement and doing things to sort of help the business and not just constantly in like a, you know, sometimes people get in a firefighting mode, but you could get in a project execution mode where the projects keep failing and I don't have time to stop and rethink my approach. And that's just, you're just going to continue to fail until you can actually prioritize that need for that business case or that need to develop a a strategy that, that you can execute.
0: Right, right, exactly. And Curtis, this is something that you've spent a lot of time on with your realization framework. You help people all the time figure out how to clearly define their business goals. What advice do you have for our PMO leaders that are being asked to like either forego business cases altogether or to help facilitate getting getting the business requirements out of the business leaders as to why something should be done.
5: Yeah, so um, first of all, the word facilitate, I'm glad I heard that word, you have to facilitate. Um, if you take on this uh, business case on your own, then you own the outcomes and you don't want to be in that position. And this is why PMOs fail. Um, so what, what, what I do is I work with the business leaders on, you talk about the strategy, I help them with the tools to develop a business case. In fact, I've worked with our, our financial department to make sure that our tools match the ma- major spreadsheets that's going to show you what the ROI is going to be. But the other thing is I coach the leaders on going to the executive committee themselves and asking for the money. Uh, you know, when I first started, I used to be that person going and speaking on their behalf. And I think that was a big mistake. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you should never be the person that owns the business case. You have to coach the business to own it. And I, I did a, um, a leadership team meeting when we talked about projects failing, because I, I did hear, hey, our projects are failing. And I pointed out to them that one of the biggest reasons they fail is because they lose interest in their own projects right? And they don't. They right. no longer support people driving their projects. So I wholeheartedly believe in a facilitation piece uh, and not owning it.
0: Right. Well, and John, you had a slightly different opinion. I think we're actually all in agreement here, but John, I want to hear what you put in the chat um, just so that everyone catches it.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, so my background is mostly in, in federal government and, mm-hmm. and then specifically with defense. So I've worked in a lot of different agencies and you know it's interesting when you're on the technology edge, mm-hmm. your your user, in my case, the warfighter, may not necessarily be aware of, say, like a V twenty two aircraft, right? is that even possible? You know, and so when you look at this blend of technology and then the resources that the federal government, the Defense Department, actually actually breaks this up in the and kind of into three parts. There's The purely requirement part, which is capability best. What do I want to do from a capability point of view? The how to do that comes in from the PMO, the program office in essence. But the resources is, is a separate balancing act because the resource business, which we call PBBE, planning, programming, budgeting, and execution, that planning part is that strategic planning part. Is, is, is really the overall business case of what the defense department can afford from a business case point of view. It's not just, can I go buy the capital asset? It's, can I maintain it, you know, get the soldiers in it, the airmen in it, the oh, sailors, the whole,
3: of life. Nice. The whole thing. Mm. So that's
4: a whole resource game to a whole kind of technology development, you know, kind of get up in the tide of industry, you know, the Lockheed Martins and whatever the world, since since Ed's on the on the on the discussion, I saw he was from Lockheed, you know, before. And then and then the warfighter, the warfighters come in, and they are, it is very important that they are the ones laying out the prioritization of where they want to improve next, but they are often not knowledgeable enough about where we possibly could go that they're laying out capabilities not requirements. We make a distinction between those two things because capabilities can be, you know, I like to get, you know, over to the Middle East in three hours, right? You know, how, how can I do that? I need to get there fast, you know, mm. and then you got to see what the possibilities
2: are. Mm. It's a nice distinction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And so I think what, what I'm hearing is that we're somewhere in the cross between a business case and a charter, just to put it very simply, right? So some of the truly, when I'm thinking business case, why we are doing this that needs to be owned by the business um and one of our one of our folks that are here uh pcp so i'm not sure what that like what whose initials that is but uh sent something just to us as the host and panelists which i think is Valid. Uh, input to a business case, for example, could be from business and IT. If business owns yeah. a business case, if it's a business problem, but if it's an IT problem that we're trying to solve, the IT might be the business in that case. Yeah, that's and, really yeah absolutely. That. And so, yeah. you know, you would absolutely want to put a lot of um, inputs into the process, but as far as who owns answering the question, why are we doing this and how will we know we are successful? That has to be whoever owns it, which could be a you know whatever business unit owns it. That's the that's the organization that needs to be the one to invest the time and energy in putting it together. And I honestly, I think it's if they can't find the time to do it, then it's not really that important to them. That's you know how I look at it. Um, There's
2: another thing, Laura, in relation to the business case, and this is one of the things that um, is a particular pet um, hate of mine. People think that okay, so the whole idea of the business case is to get the money and then we get going and the business case becomes a doorstop, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas one of the things that I say to people is that if you've got, if you a really well thought through business case, does not have to be an enormous document.
0: Right, right. should be pretty simple, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
2: uh, they, they can be very short documents, but they should become like the bible so in other words it's not a document that you stick on the shelf and then forget about until you do the post-implementation review maybe three years after and you can't actually work out what the hell's going on so one of the things that we also teach people is that the the financial there's two the when you're tracking the success you should be tracking all the way through the project Mm -hmm. at every steering committee meeting Okay, we've defined for this project a list of outcome statements, these carefully crafted statements that define what the future looks like when it's working just right. And, you know, for a little project, there might only be seven of them. And for a a huge transformation, there might be about 50 and you might be working on the first 10, right? But you go at every steering committee meeting, okay, are we on track to deliver the outcomes? Tick, yes, we're still happy with that. And then you also look at the positive consequences, the the benefits in terms of um, the improved um, customer relationship or um, you know sort of the improved error rates or something and you go ticker we on track to get that still but then separately you've built financial models and this is the bit oh my god that everybody gets wrong you have to build a financial tracking model which basically you can read like a book and in it it shows what's your baseline case which is when you if you do nothing what this project is going to do and then you track to say where are we at during it because you might be getting great results but it's nothing to do with the project like you know covid comes along and everybody shifts from working from home and you'll zoom and you become uh the most profitable company in on the planet for five minutes right not because of the fact that they did a great job of marketing themselves right so you have to track whether whether the improvement's coming from, and is it something that the project is doing? But that tracking that you do is built from the fact that you set it up when you first started to put the business case together. So you don't wait till a bloody post implementation review before you say, "Are we successful or not?" You can say Yes, we've got the we've realised the outcomes, benefits, and value for time, cost, resources, acceptable to us, which might be larger than what you put in the business case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might decide to spend a bit more because you. someone says, if we do this, it'll last us for four years instead of two. And you go, huh, let's do that. I've just added an, an, another million to the budget. But I'm happy with that. So this whole thing about the business case is that it's a live document and people are working on it and using it and using the financial models, which nobody seems to know how to do. God knows if they don't get me started on that. Anyway. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Alex, I'll have you come in to, and talk to my Impact Engine uh, PMO coaching students on this, on building those financial models and the outcomes thinking and how to actually measure some of the value that the PMO is driving. So thank you for that. We'll teach them. We'll teach them together. Yeah. Um, so we ha- have a handful of other questions I want to make sure we get a chance to get to. Um, And so let's see, are there, are there a generic set of criteria set of questions And I'm gonna come back to you, Alex. I wanna see if anyone else has any opinions on this first before I go to my outcomes expert. Um, Are there any set of generic questions, criteria we should ask when assessing a project outcome? So kind of along the lines of this business case stuff but what are the questions we need to ask um, to to get to what the right um, outcomes are that we need to measure on our projects? And then also at the portfolio level, is there anything specific that we should be measuring at the portfolio level to kind of capture, um, you know, the, the value that the PMO is contributing to the organization in terms of outcomes or maybe
1: ROI? The I mean, ultimately, there's only one question that matters. Why? Yeah. Why do you want to do this? Why is it important to spend this money, invest in this new product, expand into this market, update this process, automate this thing, replace this system, whatever it is, why? If you can answer why, you can turn that into some kind of measure of benefits. It's not always objective. Sometimes it's subjective. And even when it's objective, you might want to use a subjective proxy because the real numbers don't come till too far down the road and you need some kind of early indicator. And sometimes you do it simply because the stakeholders, the owners think it's the right thing to do and it's going to help us move forward strategically. And that's okay if everybody buys into, that's why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. But if you focus on just that really simple question, yes, you need to go down some pathway and get into more details to quantify stuff in many cases. But if you just focus on that, because think about your personal life. If your significant other says to you, or if you say to your significant other, "I've got this really great idea. This is really cool thing that I want to do, and it's only going to cost ten thousand dollars," you it better all have, the
2: time. <laughs> you have a new, good, kitchen. Well, yeah. new kitchen, new <laughs> kitchen.
1: If you can get a new kitchen for $10,000, if you can get a kitchen for $10,000, you're talking to my wife straight after the talk. Uh,
0: I heard all about Andy's kitchen nightmare for months. Oh,
2: really? It was that? Oh, my God. That's one of the examples I use when I talk about how people have different perceptions of value. I talk about different kitchens.
1: You call it a kitchen. I call it my porch. Yeah. You know, it's... You've got to have an argument there, right? You've got to have a story. You've got to have a logic that says, this is why we should spend this money. This is why we should make this investment. Mm -hmm. Why should it be any different at work? Mm -hmm. I want to spend a million, 10 million, 100 million, a billion, 10 billion, whatever it is. If you've got a darn good reason for doing that, and it's going to generate benefit, whether that's financial ROI or whether or not it's, you know a, a government organization looking to you know optimize performance for its citizens, then go right ahead and do it. but if you can't explain the why, then look for something else. don't spend three months trying to come up with a sales pitch business case that tries to hide the fact that you don't have a good why
2: that's the question we use when we uh, teach people to actually to craft outcome statements oh, yeah. um, It's why is this important? And that's the um, I've written a post on LinkedIn about elicitation. And that is the question we use. Why is this important?
0: Well, and I think that's one of the problems. Why is it that people think that that's such a um, well, a lot of people say, well, our business owners don't know what they want or, you know, there's this all this data that's that suggests that. Most people like here's one statistic: 95 percent of typical workforce does not understand the organization's strategy. And I believe very simply, that's it's because, because we're the not asking why. Are
2: so bloody incoherent. <laughs> well, but we're also not
0: asking, and people aren't telling, right? If we're not yeah. asking the question why, there could be a very clearly defined strategy that's just not being communicated beyond the C-suite, right? So we have to ask why. But then there's another question I think we need to ask, and I always say start with why. But the next question we need to ask is how will we know? how will we know it worked? How will we know we're successful, right? That gets you to the metrics, the feel goods or otherwise, but it gets you to the metrics on what they are using to define success. And so I think we don't have to make this so super complicated, two questions. Why are we doing this and how will we know it worked? And that alone, just those two things, I think can get people a lot further in understanding the organization strategy, understanding what business leaders care about and being able to really craft projects and success criteria for those projects. So uh, let's see, uh, uh, Andy, Alex, Laura, we're gonna shut up for a minute and see if we can get Ed Curtis and John to uh, jump in here.
5: (laughs) Well, so the other question that I ask is, does this supplant what we already have in place. And mm-hmm. so um, one of the things we, I, I heard you guys talk about was not knowing what the company strategy was.
3: Mm-hmm. About
5: seven years ago, I did an analysis on our portfolio and f- found out that 77% of our spend was towards operational projects mm-hmm. and only 22% was towards the strategy. Mm-hmm. And no wonder our numbers didn't look so well, and we didn't make an impact, and the PMO wasn't looked at as somebody that added value. So I did some work with Gartner to change that order-taking mentality to more big-game hunters and helped our organization with how do we work with our leaders on strategy. And so one of the things that I did was just start to work with them, understand all the CEOs' direct reports and their top three goals for the year, in addition to the overall company strategy, and that became part of my governance model. And so, if you wanted yes. to add a project, it had to be within inside that governance model. And so, if the if the leader themselves chose not to know what the strategy was, I always had it. And then I have a quarterly meeting with uh, the CFO, and that I, I call that the tiebreaker meeting because you're going to always have these competing number ones, right? And that's where you get to start to force people to add, to say why and what the outcomes are and does this supplant something that we already have? And so I create these forums that always allow them to think through what is it that they really want and how is this going to have an impact to the business and how do you stand that up against everything else that's going on as a priority?
3: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, the, part, the last part you said about the, the business impact, and I think sometimes it's understanding the overall high-level strategy for the organization. And so, for example, if your leadership, part of their strategy is to expand into, let's say, international markets, but all your business cases are about making more feature-rich products, you're not aligned to the strategy of the organization, Um, So even when you're putting together the business case and going to execute the projects, it is part of that larger strategic discussion with leadership. And I think I wanted to mention another thing that um, we were kind of saying earlier about having the PMO help facilitate in that process of putting together the business case. I think when... PMO is involved in that, even though they're not owning it and they can help facilitate it, they're starting to get a lot more context about the why and and some of the additional information that's going to help them when they're in execution and they need to make decisions. If you're just getting some charter or some statement and saying, okay, go execute this project, but you don't really understand why, you know, there could be a statement or, or something like that, but you don't understand like, you know, what, what the leadership is thinking about why they wanted to get into this and what are the most important critical components to this project. Um, you're just executing a project and hoping that you get to the result that they were expecting. And like you were saying before, I mean, getting the PMO involved early and sometimes the way to do that is to help facilitate some of those strategic discussions that developing the business case because our, you know, PMO leaders are are very organized and they can sort of big build that rigor around that process. And so they can, you know, introduce that skill set to, you know, have them get a a seat at that table to be part of those discussions and understand a little bit more about, you know, what's important to leadership, the strategy, the why, and not just start from when somebody hands them a charter and says go.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. Okay, Impact Driver, that's it for the first half of this live stream Q&A from our most recent PMO Impact Summit. I hope you got some great value from it. Next week, we'll cover the second half of this live stream Q&A, and then the following two weeks will be our second Q&A session that we had during the PMO Impact Summit that we refer to as Impact After Hours. It's a group of panelists that are top well-recognized thought leaders in the PMO and project management community, and we get together on a regular basis and have thought-provoking conversations about the things that... No one's telling you, but we certainly know work. And so I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the eye-opening ideas you hear in those sessions. That's it for this session. If you love what you are hearing on the PMO Strategies podcast, and we are helping you think differently about how you can make an even bigger impact in your organization, definitely leave a rating and review and let us know. That helps others that need these impact-driven ideas and insights learn all about us. Until next week, bye-bye for now.